You're listening to a podcast brought to you by international law firm Trowers and Hamlins, combining market sector thought leadership, advice, and ideas, helping businesses and governments prepare for the future. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of a series of Trowers and Hamlins podcasts um, called Reopening London. My name is Julian Allen. I'm a partner in real estate in the London office of Trowers and Hamlins, specialising in the leisure sector. As part of our series of Reopening London, we're going to examine today the outlook for the hospitality sector in a post-lockdown London, with the help of two eminent guests from the sector. First, we have Karine Bonjean, who is Managing Director of Hotels at Christie & Co. And we have Richard Grossman, who is Managing Director of Retail and Leisure Consultancy, Lewis Craig. But first, my co-host, Ida Habouche, who is Head of the Hospitality and Leisure Group at Trails and Hamlins. Hello, Ida. Hi, Julian. Thank you. Nice to be here. So perhaps if we passed on to Karine and Richard for very brief introductions and then we'll we'll push on with the first topic. Karine? Yes, good morning Julian. Um, so I'm Karine. I look after the hotel division of Christian Co in, in the UK but also throughout Europe as we've got uh, 25 offices across the UK and Europe. So I focus on selling hotels, valuing hotels and consulting. So we have a team of about 100 people across Europe and we've been very active in the hotel industry for the past 85 years in London, the UK. Richard, how about yourself? I'm Richard Grossman, uh, Managing Director of Lewis Craig. We are a uh, London West End based consultancy working across the retail, leisure and wellness sectors. We've been established now for about 40 years. Our activities throughout the UK, uh, representing a wide range of UK-based and overseas occupiers and investors. Terrific. Well, it's been quite a year or a year and a half for the sector. I think we can all speak to that from our own experience. If we could start with a sort of generic question of the sector as a whole, in London in particular, I'd like to start with actually asking our guests what they feel marks London out as a destination for hospitality and leisure compared to other cities in the UK and indeed internationally. Is there something particular and special about London? And if so, what to you particularly is it? Richard. Okay, London just offers so much in so many different ways as as an international centre for corporate activity. And I think that's sort of always been that way and, and, and will continue to do so as a tourist centre, as a historic uh, place of historic interest. There is just so much that it offers from entertainment, theatres, the whole, everything. We've, it's all here in London. That's not to say that there are not other cities around the UK that, uh, that have a you know, considerable amount to offer too. So although this is London, very much sort of a London-focused discussion, I don't want to sort of just sort of become from a totally London-centric place here. I think I think that the UK has so much to offer on an yeah. international scale. Yeah, I agree. And I think in terms of the, some of the things you said there, the tourist centre, the historic interest, it's it's hard to see those two things changing very much. If anything, they'll, they'll probably develop even further. But you mentioned corporate activity. Do you, do you feel that London is under threat at this time in terms of its of its economic activity compared to what it was 18 months ago? Well, I don't know about under threat, but I, it's certainly we've been through a very, very turbulent time. I think if we think back to when you say 18 months, uh, it's probably even now 
coming getting towards 24 months of real uncertainty if we go back to brexit uncertainty followed with all the political turmoil and then the election in 2019 and and then we had i think it was january and february of, of great excitement of 2020 when everybody thought this is it we're moving now we're moving and then of course you know the pandemic hit so i think that perhaps we we will come out of this quicker because of the success of the vaccination program so much quicker than than many other countries but it's going to take time it's going to take time and i think there's a lot of challenges ahead i mean just because we're seeing now sort of busy bars and pubs and people sort of excited about going out again i think we we mustn't underestimate the challenges ahead for operators and businesses and so many corporate office occupiers are reassessing their own needs yeah. now and yeah. those decisions won't necessarily be made for months you know that it could be another, at least another 6 to 12 months before and as lease anniversaries come to an end yeah i, before, I quite um, agree yeah I, I do think that uncertainty yeah. around london as a workspace is going to have an impact and and that's, at the moment it's very hard to predict but richard you did mention tourism and i want to hand over to ida Uh, a little bit about the idea of London as an international destination uh, in particular on the hotel side. Yeah. Ida, do you want to take that up? Yeah, sure. I think, you know, obviously Richard mentioned it. I think London is a, a significantly historic place. It's got a a sort of soft spot in people's hearts all around the world. Um I can speak from some of some of our clients from, you know, particularly the Middle East and and the Far East. There's no there's nowhere that's like london for them and their investments they feel are safe here until the pandemic i think it's been a, a strong industry sector and it was just growing from strength to strength but perhaps karin can um maybe how you saw things immediately before the pandemic uh hit compared to sort of where we are right now yeah i mean london is is clearly one of the top destination for investors from across the the world and that has then really changed uh over the the past 18 months even with covid i mean we had multiple discussion with investors keen to see opportunity in london but what we missing really right now is is stock there are very few opportunities on on the market so we certain that if you had stock and and opportunities to look at people will we look at it one of the key strengths of the london hotel market i think is one of them is it is much bigger than a lot of the other european capitals so you have a lot going for it in terms of a good combination of domestic tourism but also international tourism corporate demand a lot of events conferences so all of that are very strong dynamics for hotel markets what we are missing now is obviously london is locked and it is really difficult to get any sorts of visitation because until we've reopened the borders and we can see this international tourism coming back um it was going to be challenging for the market to make a full recovery but i'm very confident that in the long term once various activities cultural events theaters are reopened and people can travel back to london um the market will will come back it's going to be a slow process as we say it will first take the leisure element as we keep saying mostly domestic but in due course the rest of the demand will come back um i mean one question we get regularly is about the conference and the event demand uh because people think that maybe everything can be replaced by a zoom call nowadays but i really strongly believe that 
we need to meet uh, in person and not everything can be replaced by a Zoom call. It's going to take some time, but I'm, I'm a strong believer again that all of that will come back. So where we are is still in a very strong position. We'll, London will make a comeback, but for the time being, uh, we are a bit challenged by the restriction that we have on travel. So just a question of time, but we'll be back to normal uh, in the coming years. I think that that's good to hear. And I do agree with you that and the industry will rebound from this. I think um, one thing I wanted to touch upon and what you mentioned is, is, you know, buyers still are interested in London, domestic, international, but it's the availability of stock, essentially, that isn't really there at the moment. And I just wanted to sort of maybe get your thoughts on where you think that's, do you think we're going to have more development, more conversion, more repurposing of um buildings that are currently, you know, offices that are no longer going to be used, things like that. I mean, that's obviously something that's been accelerated by the pandemic. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. I mean, you have a number of things happening. Obviously, old offices that are not fit for purpose anymore that investors are looking at and thinking for, for hotel uh, conversions. You obviously have existing hotel that people are looking to convert to other uses. So we're going to have a bit of mixture of stock closing and being repurposed and new stock coming in. There is still a lot of projects going on in London. I had a look this morning uh, just before we, we had that chat. Um, there is still about 15,000 bedroom under development across London when we have about 100,000 as we speak. So it's about, let's say, 15% that are due to open between 2021 uh, to 2023. So those projects yeah. are still ongoing. However, one thing that is posing some issues, creating some issues, is obviously the financing of it. But we're seeing a lot of capital and funds ready to support hotel development. So they see the future and they're going to support the investment, the development finance to ensure that they open in due course. Yeah. Sorry. Are you seeing a similar uh, outlook in terms of sort of retail and leisure? I mean, this is the reality. The pandemic has accelerated the demise of, um, the, you know, the traditional um, outdated department stores, which... Um, and it has now created a host of, of new opportunities for, for repurposing. I mean, many of these department stores have had an underutilized back of house, often over many levels, which you know will provide some really interesting scope for redevelopment. And, and whether that boutique hotels over the maybe the top two floors with you know with, with a sort of a rooftop terrace, whether it's flexi workspace, immersive entertainment, live music venues, suddenly everything's possible. One of the issues was that. There was simply no availability of large floor plates in central. In, let's talk about the West End here. Um, but that, um, that's all, uh, all going to change. But as Corinne says, not only is funding an issue, but, but the lead time of these projects, you know, it can be 12 to 36 months from now. I mean, you know, before we actually, these things don't happen overnight. And, you know, I think if you look at the flexi workspace market, um, anyone who's now thinking, I'm just going to do a sort of a WeWork style development, if it's not going to be ready for another year or two. I mean, we, we know we've got saturation across that sector. So it's got to be more than now. It's got to be what additional elements can be added to these large floor plates you know, or, or to what would have traditionally been conversions to offices. You know, what, what, what can we now do? And it's opened up a, a whole range of opportunity. It's probably a good thing that some of these projects have a bit of, of lead time in front of them. 
uh, that will allow the market to come back. So when they reopen, they will be probably in a stronger position than if you do to open within the, the next six months. And I agree on, on a lot of the changing of people looking at projects. A lot of the projects we've looked at, uh, many people are keen to have outdoor space if you can, or rooftop terrace. Co-working is obviously a, a very big element um, that was already pre-COVID, but I think the, the, the pandemic obviously has accelerated that trend of people trying to have more multi-purpose type of space where you're not constrained to a conference room, but you can also use the local community more and probably diversify your revenue streams as well as much as you can. So there's been some positives around the pandemic, accelerating some of the trends. You touched there, Karine, on um, outside space. And I, I think, I mean, people in this country have always enjoyed sort of standing outside, whatever the weather, having a drink, having a coffee. But I think now the outside space is so much in demand. You know, the whole alfresco scene is massive. And I think that um, this is something that uh, previously was a nice to have for occupiers. I mean, some you know, maybe it was essential, but for the majority of occupiers, it was always, that's great if we've got a bit of external space. Now, whatever it is, a rooftop, fantastic. A garden, a courtyard, a bit of terrace, or even a few tables and chairs on the pavement outside. I mean, this is this is now very, very high up on the list and, and for many a, a prerequisite. Uh, and I guess if we're going to have any future lockdowns, which we hope not, then the external space is obviously going to offer an operator the fastest way to sort of get back operating again yeah that's it's interesting with uh, multi-purposing and outside space and 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 what we're seeing coming in is this idea of a slight change in the landscape or a slight change of emphasis in in the, in the restaurant landscape i want to touch briefly if i may on central london and outer london we we identified a potential issue around workplace london in other words um corporate lunches corporate events client lunches, uh, corporate socialising. If there are far fewer commuters per day than there were in the past, what is that going to do to the restaurant market? Is is it going to, are certain restaurants going to have to adapt? Uh, Certain restaurants just going to go under? Is it going to lead to a rise in more social, uh, more sort of American style eating out? Are we going to see restaurants pushed out to the suburbs where people are living and working now? I wondered if if you saw any sort of adaptations and changes to the landscape of, of that nature, that I know it's like crystal ball gazing, but can we see patterns that were emerging that might have been accelerated again by this lockdown and the recognition that commuting is not all it was? Well, yes. And I think, you know, uh, the, the reality of that is that, I mean, it's become a part of the way of life now. So maybe in the future, what we're going to see, um, people will won't want to sit around a boardroom table having a uh, having a meeting, I think that eating out, meetings, eating out will be are, are something that people are going to want to do. It, it's um, a lot more of getting back into that. Um, it became sort of there was a point I remember years ago when they said, you know, long lunches were, were, were simply not, you know, it became out of vogue. This was about what, 15, 20 years ago. That sort of became very much sort of a bit of a luxury if you can go out for lunch and, and not really necessary. You need to be back at your desk. I think that mentality has changed. So I think we're going to see a lot more. And we've been seeing it anyway over the years, over recent years of people meeting for a coffee, meeting, you know, meeting for a uh, meeting for a drink, meeting for a meal. And that that's how business will be done uh, and continue to, to be done. And that's what people enjoy. 
I think the mix of socializing as well um, and, and, you know, business and, and social will, will continue to sort of converge. I think we'll, we'll see a lot more of that. As for sort of the suburban locations, we've seen places like Muswell Hill, Ealing, Wimbledon, a few examples there, Chiswick, and, and many others that are, that are really um, suburban and neighborhood locations and areas generally within the M25 that, that have really seen a bit of a boost. I see that we might get a bit of saturation of, of too many places in, you know, if some of our suburban high streets are now sort of, you know, full of restaurants. I can't see how they will all survive. And I think this is whatever business you're going into today, whether it's, you know, retail, coffee shop, restaurant, casual dining, top end dining. Um, I, I think that it is absolutely essential that you get it right uh, because Customers today want experience. They want the best in class, whether it's coffee, sandwich, sushi, whatever it might be. They want the best. People have got more choices than ever before. They value their time. They value what they, they really look at what they're spending their money on. So I think that the important thing is this, this whole, in the past, it was all about rollout of, of cookie cutter, you know, the brands. Well, we've seen what's happened to so many of the larger brands. Yeah. There must now be more flexibility. And right now we're seeing the opportunities for creative, independent businesses to really push on uh, in a way that they couldn't have done in the past because those opportunities weren't there for them. They wouldn't have had a, any scope to um, compete with the bigger players. Hmm. So I think we're going to see more come unstuck that have not been able to adapt. And we will see a lot more independent in innovation. And I think there's also, of course, data you know, this is becoming pretty critical across hospitality. Operators, whatever you do, really need to need to understand their customers at, at a much deeper level. They will then enjoy what comes with delivering best possible customer experience, the rewards of that. And I'm not talking here about smartphone data from a supermarket or pizza delivery, but the, the real need to understand, get the predictive insights um, to anticipate behavior and trends. And if, if you could, I think that is a main building block to success moving forward. If you can really be in touch with your customers, whether you are serving them a coffee or whether you're, uh, or whether they're getting the fine dining experience or whether it's a hotel. So that is going to be critical. That's, that's very interesting, Richard, on, on, on the, the way demand is changing and focusing. Ida, um, on the hotel side, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, um, I agree with with a lot of what Richard says. And I think the fact that we're not traveling to work anymore definitely will have an impact. Um, business travel, hotel stays. I'd like to hear Karine's thoughts perhaps on, on how hotels can adapt to the changing demand and the changing landscape. Are, are we going to see hotels contributing to perhaps regeneration and gentrification of certain suburbs now that people aren't commuting into the typical city, midtown, West End anymore? Definitely. I think that has been one of the, again, maybe one of the positive of the pandemic is moving a bit the attention out of the central areas and, and regenerating neighborhoods. So we've worked on several hotel projects in, in around Greater London. And you can see there is a lot of headquarters being moved to key destinations. Uh, and that is going to change the dynamics. This will create hotel demand in, in location that previously had some demand, but probably not at that level that will create, you know, uh, FNB meeting requirements, co-working space. So we're seeing a lot more interest in 
more neighborhood uh, location outside of London in, in greater London. So that I think is positive. Within London, a more central location, obviously some hotels will have to adapt and reconsider a bit what is the future of the hotel demand because I think when people will travel now, in my view, if you want to have a trip, you will make it a bit more worthwhile. You're not going to be just in and out like we used to be. We'll be a bit more picky, I think, in, in what we want. We want um, um, and sustainability will be a key topic as well. People have been a lot more conscious of the environmental impact of our behaviors. So that's clearly top of the agenda in, in people's choice. But it's having a real experience, like uh, Richard, uh, we said a bit earlier, people are going to have even more interest in, you know, an hotel service, a lifestyle product, make it worse, I think, if you spend time in an hotel. So there is a lot of thinking to be done for hotels also on technology and health and safety. So people, I think, are reopening and, and trying to figure out what the future holds. But I think hotels will really need to reconsider what is their future demand. Might not be the usual white collar uh, traveler just going to see some banking institution in London. So need to make maybe a bit more of an effort. Thanks, Karine. Uh, it seems to me there's a lot of things converging at once here. You could you could look at it from any angle. You could look at it from London's sort of slight being slightly late on technological infrastructure, sustainability. You could look at it from the employment perspective in terms of who where the employment pool is given Brexit and the lack of freedom of movement. Um, one of the things Richard said struck a chord with me, which is that the there could be too many places. But it seems to me that the high street now is about destination or nothing, because um, retail is unless unless you have a destination, unless you have somewhere worth visiting um, from a retail perspective, you're going to buy it online. So the, the, the places that can that can afford to set up on high streets are places you can't do online, hairdressers, coffee shops, restaurants, places you need to visit someone to provide you with a service, not something that can be sent to your, your door. So we're sort of they're pushing, we're being pushed in lots of very different directions here, which obviously makes our, our job harder in terms of predicting how it's going to look. But there was a further impact, which I wanted to discuss, and that is the sort of rail infrastructure impact and the, the advent of potentially crossrail and um, the, the growth of, of places like Hayes in Middlesex, which are not often talked about with all due respect to any of our listeners who are from Hayes. You know, is it possible that Hayes could be the new the new destination, for example? Do, do, do these things factor into the into the landscape as far as hotel and leisure is concerned? In every hotel development we look at on feasibility study side, obviously, if you have the, the rail, the new high-speed rail and, and transportation being improved, that is, that's where we've seen a lot of clusters of, of new development. But that was more in the, in the idea of coming from outside London, inside London. But interestingly, what we might see is actually even more of an impact, as you say, on other location along the Elizabethan line. And again, it's all about creating these neighborhood locations. I think it'll be very positive outside now of London, possibly more than inside London, but inside London will be fine as well. Do you think that the growth of the um, staycation that has become a lot more popular since, you know, the beginning of 2020 will, will contribute to growing that? You know, people may not 
and then you know linked to sustainability people are, are very aware of their carbon footprint and so instead of the risk of going abroad and getting on a plane and all the environmental associations with that will they be looking more to to staycations and therefore that will drive development outside of London I mean staycation there has been a complete resurgence of resort coastal rural location in hotels I mean we've never seen that much demand for this type of product so that is very good and that has given an impetus as well to this type of products as well to be developed which is nice moving the focus a bit outside of London to very extremely popular location in Devon, Dorset, Cornwall, Lake District, Coastal. Uh, coastal. So that, that is helping. Um, however, staycation, I think, will last for a number of months or years. But at the end of the day, we creatures of habit. So we'll go back to traveling. We will be more conscious, hopefully, of the impact that we have in the environment. But let's be frank. If Spain was to reopen uh, in summer and we had an all booked already a staycation somewhere in the UK, we'll probably be on that plane to Spain or Greece to enjoy two weeks in the sun. So we will be back to it. But for the moment, for the next two years, I would imagine staycation will be the trend and people will take also more shorter breaks. So I think there's been a trend to not just sticking to that one or two weeks early days. It's also going to Devon, even for three days. We're happy to travel hours in the car just to be in a, a lovely location outside of London. So that is going to be positive in the long term. And investors are very keen to acquire property outside of London for that mm. reason. And Richard, do you want to come in on that? Or? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I know that this is uh, hotels is not my domain, but we represent one of the one of the UK's largest uh, travel retail groups, uh, and I can tell you that they are, um, uh, you know, very very optimistic about sort of twenty twenty two onwards. Life life is going to go on as normal. I think uh, once you get confidence returning, we mustn't sort of obviously see the UK with our successful vaccination program. Thankfully, that we have at the moment. We, you know, obviously the rest of the world is there are parts of the world even where there's travel corridors. We want to be careful here because I think it could be another year or two before confidence really does return, but it will, it will. And I think it's going to be life as life will go on. But I obviously at the same time, I think the environmental aspect to all of this is massive. And, you know, the carbon footprint element, and we don't know, I mean, we look at this, we're all of a certain age, perhaps a few years older than you guys, but we're all of a certain age uh, where we are thinking in a certain way. But, you know, my kids are in their early 20s and very differently in, in a few years from now. They already do in so many different ways about yeah. sort of, so about the environment. So for them, it's becoming just part of life. For us, we're learning. I think that um, that's not going to happen overnight. But um, I think it's going to yeah. improve life generally, isn't it? If, uh... Yeah, indeed. And things have changed. People's views are changing wholeheartedly. I, th- I still think there's a few dichotomies and tensions that are irresolvable. London is what it is because what you said right at the outset, Richard, is the historic town. Um, we want the landscape to be that. It's not a purpose-built centre like Tokyo. You can't go, you can't say I insist upon a sustainable hotel if you've flown in from New York to stay in it. Exceptions will have to be made, and that you know that people will need to find a reason. One of the things, I mean, I keep talking about America, but it, one of the things that appears to have happened during the lockdown is people's appreciation for having meals delivered to them has gone up markedly in fact it was already on the way up pretty savagely um but obviously the need and necessity to have your food delivered to your door 
exploded during lockdown. Richard, can I ask, in terms of restaurants, it seems to me that restaurants could meet that demand if they made delivery and eating out a, a fundamental component of their offering. Is, is that right? And are there some restaurants that will have to adapt or die from that perspective? Or is that all overblown and we're all going to be wanting to go and socialise and sit together again? I, well, this is the thing, isn't it? We, 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 we really don't know. But what, what I do know is that there are those that, have, that are just very happy just to sort of, they just want an easy life and I, delivery has become so easy. And there are those that just want to go out and have a good time. And there's some people somewhere in the middle. I suspect that we, it's all being, I think we're, I think it's a bit of an accident waiting to happen for some of the bigger delivery organizations. It's not all about, you know, you might find that a restaurant's churning it out and and with, with home deliveries, but the margins, you, you've got to really be, uh, look very carefully at, um, I don't want to name any names here, but some of the larger uh, delivery organizations, uh, yeah. they're over gearing uh, some of the smaller independent restaurants that have benefited during COVID, but actually might be better off running their own deliveries or, or setting up their own dark kitchens. We're seeing a real interest in, in the whole dark kitchen sector, really over the last 12 months has grown enormously. So it's all now, whatever, you know, in, in the last mile delivery, getting that food to you as quickly as possible. It's the last mile delivery with retail as well. You know, we all want stuff from Amazon. It used to be three to five days was fine. It used to be tomorrow is fine, but people want everything today. So this kind of facility, is, is very much in demand at the moment. Uh, and that might use some space yeah. that, that would just sit redundant. Good point. Karine, you wanted to come in, I think. Yeah, no, no, definitely, because we've got a, a division at Christian called that covered restaurant. It's not my area of expertise, but what I've seen is, again, an enormous um, impact on the transactional activity on the delivery type sites. So we've been selling a number of franchise fast food delivery sites that has been taken very quickly. And every time you get this type of, of product to market, people are, are really looking into it. And same on the dark kitchen side, that's a very big trend in hotels where obviously hotel restaurant has always been a complicated subject. To make it work, do you have the right concept? Do you, do you know how to run it? Do you lease it externally? Do you keep it in? So We've seen an enormous amount of hotel operators being keen to explore the dark kitchen concept. So all of that is all linked again to the pandemic and the fact that the delivery service, I would say, will, will stay, but we will obviously go back to a social element of it, but we'll also be happy to stay home and have all the food delivered. So um, mm. that that is impacting hotel and you're starting to have even more correlation between the hotel sector and the restaurant sector on, on that point. Mm. Um, for restaurant occupiers, you know, what you're going to want is bums on seats, people spending money, drinking, eating and, uh, you know, turnover that way. And, you know, the theory of, well, you know, we'll just churn out as a factory from our restaurant. It, it really doesn't work for a lot of operators. It just doesn't work. You've got Deliveroo and other companies, drivers that are just uh, standing around and it doesn't really fit in with the profile of what a lot of uh, a lot of restaurant operators are wanting. It's worked for them. When it's needed uh, but to, but it's 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 whether they can make to. it work coherently. I mean, Indian then, restaurants it, it, never had that problem. Those with, yeah, I mean, those with very small. You know, we've got a, a local pizza, an independent Italian guy, who has you know he's only got eight seats or something like that, eight or ten seats in his restaurant in a tiny place, but he has benefited enormously. I mean, he's got a you know a nice menu, 
and he's been doing a great delivery service. So for a small operator with very low overheads, this has been a, an opportunity to, to launch and to really launch their businesses in a way that they couldn't have imagined before with people wanting to eat at home and not having no other choice, wanting good food brought in. But I think it's that socializing element. Once we all start getting back to life, I'm not sure that it's, um, uh, again, this could be another area of real saturation and we're mm. going to see consolidation. Okay, well, that's uh, fantastic stuff. Um, let's try and summarize all of this uh, with one question. If you're looking to invest in hospitality in London, let's say you're an outside investor from, say, the Middle East, and you're looking to invest in specific hospitality areas and you want some advice, what things should you be steering clear of? What things should you be looking at very closely? And what precautions should you be taking in what you're doing? I wonder if that's a good synthetic question to close this conversation off. Uh, from an investment perspective, where do people feel that we should be looking if you were advising an investor who wanted your help? Karine? I mean, we speak to a lot of, of investors um, and as always, in terms of, of investment, what you need to look at is, is location. Um, there are plenty of strong sub-markets within London. Uh, the West End is one of them, but you have plenty of other locations which benefit from a strong mix of demand. So my key recommendation would be to pick a, a market that has a good base of leisure demand and corporate demand. So you're not too reliant on one element. Another important thing to look at, I think, is also transport, because as we know, there are a lot of developments uh, in terms of the Elizabethan line that is being developed. And all of those will, will really create more demand. And we've seen a lot of investors and developers looking closer to this type of, of location with strong transport improvements plan in the future. But in my view, uh, London, central London is a fair bet generally, but there are a lot of other location in more suburban location of London that could attract and should attract more interest. Um, because what we've seen is, for instance, large corporate relocating to more secondary location, more accessible uh, around London. And those markets uh, typically don't have enough hotel supply in order to cater for this new demand. So there are a lot of, of positives as well to look in maybe more secondary location, but with stronger developing demand in, in the near future. So I think it's another interesting areas to look at. In terms of type of product, obviously, a strong, attractive product that is quite well fitted to the future and the needs of leisure demand with a more lifestyle brand, I think is also a strong bet. There is another sector that has seen a lot of interest recently is everything to do with serviced apartments. As we know, COVID has made people rethink um, their logic in terms of safety and privacy. And we've seen an enormous growth in interest uh, for this sector. So some of these schemes I think are very interesting for investors and they're also very good in terms of cost efficiency, which drives also the return. So that would be, I would believe my, my key suggestion to investors in terms of where to look for investments. We're talking a bit about a millionaire's playground uh, more and more in, in, in some senses. That's. Yeah an easy thing to predict. Richard? Yeah, I, I think uh, Karine's summed that up 
really well. And I think there's a lot of parallels. Um, and um, I, I look for us, we, we've certainly seen a real appetite um, over recent months um, from from a range of clients from the US, Middle East, Asia that have been patiently waiting. And since, like I said before, since um, for many 2018, because obviously everything just sort of uh, sort of um, stagnated for a large part of 2019 onwards. Um, so this is a this is a great time. I think it's absolutely the right time. And I was really interested to hear this week that US-based Tau Group Hospitality has acquired the Hacksan Group, and in their words, that you know it's it, they're creating a, uh, a premium hospitality powerhouse that includes a global portfolio of brands and properties where, where they're seeing this as a great great potential for future growth. And I think that's that's a really good example of you know corporate activity. I think we're going to see a lot more of that and opportunities. Are there? We've also seen. Um, I think it was in the, in the last couple of weeks. Leon, seventy strong. Leon chain, a much loved brand. They were bought a week or so ago by the EG Group, and that is a, a great platform to move forward with. You've got to have the right brands. You've got to get it right. It's not just about securing the right property. I talked before about data, understanding your customers, and being absolutely on trend, yeah. and really, really um, just getting the whole package right. Yeah. And the, the other thing is, of course, that there's. A whole range of new types of operators. Look, we've had competitive socialising here for quite some time with, you know, with table tennis, with darts and bowling and putting combined with buzz and food, street food. We've had that for some time, but we're now seeing really uh, growing along with immersive entertainment. We're going to see a lot more of such as physical gaming with augmented uh, reality technology where we're going to have a lot of themes, um, games in particular themes. And I, th- I think that the, the appeal of this type of facility is very wide across the spectrum, whether it's corporate, team building, schools, groups of friends, multi-generational families. I think it, it's all about, and I think this is probably for hotels, for everything, it's all about maximizing revenue stream uh, rather than appealing to to a narrower market, which you may have got away with in the past, I think now you've got to really make the assets really sweat today and moving yeah. forward. No, that's fantastic. Thank you. Um, Ida, last word to you. Thanks, Julian. I'm glad we're finishing on a positive note. I'm glad that over the last pandemic and the negativity of the last couple of years hasn't impacted this discussion too badly. It sounds like there's a lot of opportunity out there. And a message perhaps for our investor clients is that the opportunities are there. It may not be immediate. It may be that, you know, you might have to be a bit patient and to wait, but also that it isn't just about the building anymore. It's about the service from what I'm hearing from from both Richard and Kevin. It's about the service that you can provide and listening to the end user and seeing what exactly they need and how you can adapt that building to provide that service. And that's probably something that we'll have to factor into investment decisions going forward. Well, Ida, thank you very much. And can I say a very special thank you to our guests, Karine Bonjean uh, from Christian Co. and Richard Grossman from Lewis Craig. Uh, it's been fascinating. I've learned a lot. I've learned about dark kitchens, which is not a concept that I was familiar with before. Uh, we've had dark theatres for the last 18 months. We can now have dark kitchens. But yeah, I think there's plenty to chew on, plenty of common sense being spoken. A lot of things aren't going to change as radically as we all believe, but but a lot of things are. And then and people are going to have to adapt to survive. As I think both Kathleen and Richard have said, certain things have been accelerated and certain things have been accentuated by this lockdown in terms of the fundamentals of how to make hospitality work. 
in, in, in London, which after all is, is an environment, um, which is one of the greatest leisure and hospitality environments in the world. Uh, and, and we have every reason to believe it will continue to be so. Um, once again, I want to say thank you to Richard and Karine for coming. And uh, thank you to everyone for listening. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers and Hamlins. Find us at trowers.com and join in the conversation on Twitter at Trowers or find us on LinkedIn and Instagram.